Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. Hey, I'm Allison Langer. And I'm Andrea Askowitz. This is Writing Class Radio, where you'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work at our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. Today's show is one in a mini-series called Home. Writing Class Radio worked on a documentary to help end homelessness for Chapman Partnership, a homeless center in South Florida. We put a public call out asking for stories about home. The call brought so many different takes. Thank you to all the people who submitted stories. In our series, you'll hear a story about a woman who finds home in another country less racially divided, a woman being torn between two homes, and a man who finds home through love with a woman while he's dealing with addiction. Today's story by Mary Parker is about a woman who finally feels at home in her body. She took the theme of home and brought it as close to the heart as possible. Her story reveals the art of planting seeds. In other words, dropping hints about what the story is ultimately about. This episode has moments of sexual violence. If this sounds like something you'd prefer to avoid, please listen to one of our other episodes. We'll be back with Mary's story after the break. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Up next is Mary Parker. Mary is a veteran of war and a student in our class working on a memoir. Her story is called At Home in My Body. I grew up in Charleston, Missouri, a rural farming town in southeast Missouri. It's at the top of the boot hill if you look at a map. People zip by it every day on their way to Chicago or Memphis on Interstate 57. Tractor-trailer drivers might stop there for gas before continuing on to their destinations. Not too far from I-57 is the high school and the football field. A couple of blocks north is government housing, also known as the projects. We moved to the projects when I was 13. In high school, I was always a little embarrassed that we lived there. My mom was the boss and she ran a tight ship. She didn't allow any alcohol in the home, not even for my dad. You'd think she would have warned me against certain dangers, but she didn't. She never told me I could say no to men. She had old fashioned values and never discussed dating, love, sex, or men. But when neighborhood girls would walk by with boys, she'd say, you see those girls, they're going to get pregnant and drop out of school. Hang out with boys like that and you'll be trash. Heck, even periods were never discussed. I found out by accident in the sixth grade when I saw blood in my panties and thought I had injured myself. High school was difficult, even though I was class president, editor of the school paper, and in the National Honor Society. By eighth grade, I already had size 36C breasts, while all the other girls were flat. 
I hated walking the halls between classes because kids would call me bored ass. I hated my body even then. I never had any dates. I did go to senior prom though. A friend set me up with a nerdy farmer boy who didn't say two words to me the whole evening. It was a pity date. After graduation, I got a scholarship to University of Missouri to study journalism, but the dorms were full and my parents didn't have any money to help me rent an apartment. Not long after, my cousin Wallace needed a ride to the re military recruiting offices, so I took him. As the recruiter talked to Wallace, it all sounded pretty interesting. Four years of free college, 30 days of vacation, and any career you wanted. Next thing you know, I was signing a contract. I didn't know anything about myself when I joined the Air Force especially how vulnerable I was. My first assignment was March Air Force Base in Riverside, California. One of my coworkers, Michael, was a DJ. He was going to be spinning at the club on base and told me to stop by. I was nervous but excited to go. I had never been to a club or even had a drink. I took a seat right in front. Michael introduced me to a friend, Robert, who also worked in our squadron. He asked what I was drinking. I said, Pepsi. Robert bought me a Tom Collins and it tasted pretty good. Blondie's heart of glass was blaring on the speaker. It was all pretty intoxicating. The drink, the twirling lights, the disco ball overhead. One drink was enough for me, so pretty soon I was ready to leave. Robert told Michael he would walk me to my dorm. We crossed the street and went inside my barracks. I was woozy and had trouble getting the key in the lock. Next thing I knew, Robert opened the door and pushed me back onto my bed. He jerked my pants down below my knees and shoved his penis into me. I felt something rip inside. His body was heavy on me and I couldn't feel, I could feel his hot stinking breath on my face. He yelled, oh yeah, I popped that cherry. I burned with shame and disgust. I just wanted him off of me. He got up, zipped up his pants, and went out the door laughing. I lay there for a while until I felt able to go down the hall to the bathroom and wash up. I didn't say a word to anyone, not my friends, not anyone in my command, not my mom. She'd know I was trash. Robert must have told people, though. Pretty soon I was getting plenty of attention from men. Instead of dealing with what happened to me, I shut down emotionally and was easy pickings for any guy who showed interest. I didn't even try to say no. When a man got on top of me, I would think about other things like the book I was reading or my to-do list, laundry, clean my room, write a letter to mom. I just sort of separated my brain from my body. This behavior went on for the next 15 years while I was in the service. The day I left, I weighed 148 pounds the maximum weight allowed for my height, five foot four. Slowly, I ate myself up to 220 pounds and spent the next 15 years with a man who never said I love you and would tell me to lose weight while we were at the Golden Corral at the buffet. That rape left me emotionally stunted at age 18. It stole my body. I found that out when I got into therapy 30 years later. I've been in therapy for military sexual trauma for 10 years. I'm now 58 and I can't say I'm totally at home in my body now, 
but I'm finally able to talk about what happened without being embarrassed. I'm able to say no to men. I still don't know what a real relationship is, but I'm finally open to it. I don't binge eat, and I actually care more about myself and how I look than I ever have in my whole life. In fact, I no longer wear giant t-shirts that go way past my butt and hide my breasts. I love this story. It's so good. And one thing that I noticed that she did so well is she planted seeds throughout the entire story. So she starts with, you'd think she'd warn me about the dangers of men. And then she says, heck, even periods weren't discussed. So from the very beginning, we get this picture of this narrator who has no sense of her body. And then that is reinforced throughout the story. Like it builds and builds. She talks about being in eighth grade and having a 36 C breast and, and kids calling her bored ass. And then she says, I hated my body even then. And then she even says, I didn't know anything about myself when I joined the air force. So she's like there again, like reinforcing this idea that she was this brain on top of a body, this disconnected person, which she then learns in therapy that that's what went on for all her life until now or until the last 10 years since she's been in therapy. Ah, I'm just so impressed with how she laid that down. And that is this idea of planting seeds. I I want to give Mary a high five. Yeah, I think she makes it very clear in the way she writes, the way she shows us that she really buried it for for 30 years and she didn't understand why she felt like shit and why she wasn't being nice to her body and all these things until it all started coming together for her, Um, which also tells you what kind of person she is, which is I like. You can tell she's just like gentle. She went there, you know, she was trying to do good and this happened to her. Yeah, it's a heart-wrenching story. I mean, I just... It's it's so awful how quickly something can change. And here's this like bright eyed, like going to go do something great for the world and the country. And this happens to her and just basically ruins her life. One decision. Yeah. And it just breaks my heart. I just want to re- rewind. <laughs> Let's go back and start over again because God, no one deserves this. And I just want to like, I'm angry for her. I just want to get in touch with that man, Robert, and just you know, make sure he has suffered, but that's bad. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I know. I'm supposed to forgive. I'm learning that today. <sighs> I learned that. Ugh. But she did, she does say in a line, rape stole my body. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That it left her stunted. I kind of want the part about binge eating. I want that out. I don't binge eat and I actually care more about myself. Why is that important? Because she, what happened to her is she, totally let go of her body. I totally disagree with you. She let go of thinking about her body. So she became this person that if any man had any interest in her, she would just be like, yeah, okay, come come on top of me. And while that was happening, she would like tick off her to-do list. So she was completely disconnected. She had this boyfriend for a while who was so mean to her, who would be like telling her to lose weight while they were at the buffet at the Golden Corral. And then she said, there's a line in there where she she said she ate herself up. Basically, she's like, I just ate and ate until I just got too heavy. 
But that's what she's saying. She's not doing that anymore. So in the last 10 years, she's no longer binge eating. She's not wearing giant shirts to hide her body. She cares. She's connected again. She's finally become connected in, in, in her mind body. But you think the reference to eating herself up is binge eating? Because I just didn't think that that lingo, I think it stood out for me because it didn't sound like her voice, binge eating. She's like, she's got a very, very strong, awesome voice that I think in her word usage, like everything just goes and I feel like binge eat is out. I, I don't know. I just didn't like it there. Are you saying it sounded, it, it wasn't true to her voice. So instead, if yeah. she would have said, I don't eat like a pig anymore. I want to hear the lingo she kind of learned in therapy. That would make it more real to me. But binge eating to me, that sounds like a weirdo term. That, that sounds like psychology term. A bit binge eat? Binge eat. I don't know. But I, to me, that sounds like a, a term she learned in, in psychology. And Mary's in my writing class and I know Mary. And Mary, I do want to say that she worked really hard and did like 20 drafts of this piece. And, um, and I sent it back to her like five times asking her specific questions and she kept coming back. And this story is so hard and I'm so proud of her. But I, I think if, if she, if it were in her true voice rather than her psycho voice, then it probably would have said, I don't eat like a pig anymore. Yeah. And that's what I love so much about the story. That's why this stood out. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think the story in general is amazing because she really shows us the arc of this narrator and she shows us you know, and it's a long time span. So she does that artfully, I thought, which was really great. And I just, I, I love her voice. I love her actual voice and I love her writing voice. And even sometimes when I'm reading some of her stuff, I hear her cute voice. And yeah, I love she that. has a very interesting accent that I'm, yeah. I, I'm not sure what that accent is. I guess it's small town Missouri. So I'm just so proud of her for writing this and working so hard. Um, this is, you know, this is traumatic, but you know. for sharing it with a bunch of people. So writing it is one thing, but being brave enough to share it is huge. And I think that brings an, a whole nother level of cleansing. I want to say this again, and, we, and I've said this and we've said this a million times on the podcast, but I think it's worth saying a million and one times. Writing class is therapy. So what I want to say is writing class is not a replacement for therapy. But when you write your story and you have a story or you write your traumatic anything on a page and get it out of your brain and onto your computer or paper, it becomes something else that is easier to handle. And that's a therapeutic method that's wor that works in therapy. And that's a therapeutic method that works in writing class. And I just don't want to deny that that's something that happens here. And that's what yeah, happened with no, Mary. We've heard from therapists that they use our podcast to help some of their patients. So we're not just like talking out our ass. Like we actually have heard that this is a thing. Right. That yes, it doesn't replace, but yes, it can help. That's what I was trying to say. We're not talking out of our ass. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing I want to say about the story. Her details paint the scenes so freaking vividly, even at the very beginning, like the tractor trailer and the football field, we know exactly what kind of hometown she comes from. There was another detail that I, that, that really jumped out at me when I listened to it this time. And it was when she was talking about how Robert told Michael, he'd walk me to my dorm. That is so interesting here because it shows the sexism built into that it's the whole scenario. 
Well, it could also be gentlemanly. I I don't want to take that wrong. It could have been perfectly fine. Some women why like did, to be walked why, home. I like being walked home. Right. But why did one guy tell the other guy? Do you see what I'm saying? No. What are you saying? I'm saying Robert's like, hey, hey, Michael, I got it. I'm going to walk her home. I just feel oh, instead of like letting as her if make the decision? Michael was hers. Oh, oh she instead was of letting his. her make the decision who she wanted to walk her home. Yeah. It's had nothing yeah. to do with the DJ guy. He had nothing to do with it. So why was he even informed? To me, that just reveals the sexism of the time and the place, the military. That just disgusts me. It just that. What? Maybe Michael was a really great guy. Maybe. So? I don't know. I just don't. I didn't think Michael. I don't think she was the property of Michael. And I don't think Michael had anything to do with it. He didn't need to know. He invited her to to this bar and she was leaving with this scumbag fucking asshole. Thank you, Mary, for sharing your story. This episode of Writing Class Radio is produced by Matt Kundle and Evan Serminski of the Sound Off Media Company, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz. Social media content is by Mia Pennekamp. Theme music by Ari Herstan. Additional music by Poddington Bear. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button and check out the writing classes and publishing insights we are giving our Patreon supporters. For $10 a month, I will answer all your publishing questions. Email me at andrea at writingclassradio.com. For $25 a month, you get a writing class a week with Allison. The classes are on Tuesdays from 12 to 1 Eastern Time via Zoom. You'll write to a prompt and share what you wrote. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at ivisonvoice.com slash podcast.